Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Sinead Brophy is the founder of two female focused health and wellbeing companies Go With the Flow Coaching and Bumps and Babies. Today, she talks to me about why men and women shouldn't necessarily train the same way and why knowing this is more empowering than disempowering. Anthony Deegan overcame a lifetime of addiction at Smarmore Castle. It's a residential clinic for the treatment of alcoholism, drug and behavioural addictions in County Loud. He's now three years sober and he works as a recovery advocate giving back to others at the place where he was once treated. He joins me in studio today to talk about recovery. And on Thursday, I spent the day in a wheelchair for Spinal Injuries Ireland. Find out how I fared a little later in the show. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I've been working too much. Um, I have been enjoying all the work that I have been doing. I've had a major project on the go, which is really exciting and interesting in equal measures. But I haven't managed to organise my time. So I haven't had an even balance. I've got in a couple of gym visits here and there, a little bit of nature time. And of course, there are two kids depending on me for life, along with my husband. But it has felt like a bit of a juggle. And I've had late nights sitting at the laptop. All the things I say I'm not going to do, so I will have to try harder for next week. And my sister, who moved to America in March of this year, has announced that she's going to come home for my dad's first anniversary, which has just given the most amazing lift to us all. And it does make you wonder how we survived months on end being separated from the people we love. And I know some didn't and that some are going through it, but it just highlighted to me what a part of our wellness, spending time with the people that know us best and that we love and having fun with those people is essential to our well-being. And my experiment of early mornings are continuing. And so far, I've learned that the mornings that I get up before the kids and take a moment to myself, they flow better. We are on time. It's crazy. I will continue this non-scientific experiment and keep you posted. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, I first heard Sinead Brophy, my next guest, on a brilliant podcast that I would recommend by my pal Aideen Finnegan. It is called How to Pivot, and she talks to people who have done a 180 in their careers, which I think a lot of people are doing at the moment. The pandemic was a time to reassess how they live their lives, and many are considering working differently, whether it's in a different capacity from home to get a better work-life balance, but also doing this 180 and it's inspiring to hear how many people go with their gut and follow a dream but there's lots of insightful advice on how to make it happen and as someone who doesn't want to pivot from my career just yet I have found it really inspiring listening and one of the guests I loved was personal trainer Sinead Brophy and she was talking about jumping from the tech world to being a personal trainer with a focus on females. Now Before any of you men switch off, remember that you all have a sister, a mother, a girlfriend, a wife, a friend or all of the above. And we all need this information. That said, 
Some of what I heard Sinead say in the podcast about women in training, I had never heard before. We'll get into the insanity of that fact in a moment. But first, Sinead Brophy, you're welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So Sinead, when you became a personal trainer, why did you decide to focus on females? Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually. I think I I, I started coming across a couple of different things in the area of women's health, so pre and postnatal training, but then also the um, the topic of kind of menstrual cycle awareness and kind of how your menstrual cycle can be impacted by training. And I think I was just so shocked that I didn't know anything about it. And I've, I guess, I've been interested in sports for a very long time, kind of was always interested in health and fitness as a young kid, teenager, and I... I'd never heard of it before. So that just really piqued my interest because I was like, well, I train differently and there are some weeks that I can train really well and other weeks I'm really tired. And, you know, here are the guys in the gym were, you know, my brother and they don't really seem impacted at all. And I just wanted to understand more about why that was and how to turn that into a positive. Because for me, I always perceived it as a negative thing. And once I started to learn more about it, I actually learned that it could be something that we can use in a positive way. Um, and that just fascinated me. So what did you learn and what have you learned since about the menstrual cycle and training? Yeah, so it's it's one of those things, once you kind of peel back the uh, the cover, there's like so many different areas that you can get into, which is really fascinating. But I started by, um, I saw a podcast by Dr. Stacey Sims and she was talking about this, this topic and a couple of other people had recommended her book. So I went off and did her course then, which was, uh, it's called Women Are Not Small Men. And it's all about kind of female physiology, sports nutrition for the female athlete. And it's very much from a performance point of view, but they go into a lot of detail about kind of puberty, perimenopause, postmenopause, and then just kind of looking at the differences between your natural cycle, let's say, and then if you're on hormonal contraception. So that was really the start of it. And then this year as well, I've just gone and I'm soon to have completed a fertility awareness course. So that was just For me to understand in a lot more detail how to understand hormones, how to educate people about how to track their cycles, because something that we're never taught. And, you know, for for myself, I didn't know how to do it. So that's been a real focus this year is trying to to kind of bring that teaching into into what I do, both as a personal trainer, but also as a nutrition coach and um, and as a movement coach as well. Because it's really interesting. We're taught about what happens physically. Mm. We're taught about what products to use. And that we might get a cramp from time to time and to use a hot water bottle. But then the conversation ends there. Mm. And it's only usually when you come to a time in your life when you're trying to get pregnant that you become way more aware of your cycle. And I think that should start a lot sooner. This whole fear that's put out there that you could get pregnant at the drop of a hat as a teenager, you kind of that lurks in the background. And then all of a sudden you're in your 30s or whatever stage of your life and you're like, actually, it's quite challenging to get pregnant. Yeah, well, that's it. And again, through the kind of fertility awareness coaching that I'm doing, there's a relatively small window that you can get pregnant in. Like it's only six days now. The the knowing when that window is going to happen, you know, it can change every month and it can be different for from cycle to cycle and for different women. But so many people don't know when that window is. And again, as you said, we're kind of, I guess, given this message of fear that, oh my God, we can get pregnant any day and, you know, we have to do all these kind of, and of course we have to be careful, but that lack of connection with our bodies is something that is is really surprising. And, and you know, I had a basic understanding of how our hormones work from doing sixth year level biology. 
but like no one comes in and teaches you that in schools now this is something that I do go into schools and I've started coming in to to talk to schools about it to try and kind of educate girls and transition year about it when you're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to personal trainer Sinead Brophy of Go With The Flow Coaching dot com so Sinead what effects does our cycle have on our ability to train yeah again interesting question there, there I guess there's two kind of camps on this so one group of researchers would kind of say that we don't yet know enough or we don't have kind of good quality information to categorically say we need to train or kind of eat differently across our menstrual cycle where other uh, schools of thought would say that there is there's enough that's kind of pointing towards some kind of assumptions that we can make at different phases but what we do know is that we have different hormones to, to guys or those who, who are kind of born male at birth um, we have the rise and fall of our hormones over our menstrual cycle as I mentioned earlier it's that fifth vital sign so what's going on is really really important to tell us but an area that has been heavily researched is the female athlete triad and the ability of under fueling or overtraining to have an impact on the menstrual cycle. And that can have an impact on then thyroid health, bone health, heart health, mental health, sports performance. If you are a female athlete or com- competing at, at some sort of level. Um, but the the biggest thing that I kind of see with with people and regardless of where you're falling with the camp is that it's an incredibly powerful tool to connect in with your body and how you're feeling. So I found for myself and my clients, learning how to track your menstrual cycle and maybe how your energy is, how your training intensities were, how did you feel that day, what's your creativity or even your productivity like across those phases can tell you so much about what's going on with your body. And knowing what your patterns are can be hugely beneficial than forgetting the most out of your training. So one study that is very interesting that I found at least was looking at resistance based training. So, you know, going to the, the gym, lifting weights, all that kind of stuff. And they found that what's called phase-based training, which is where you train five times a week in your follicular phase, which is the first part of your cycle when estrogen is higher, compared to once a week in your luteal phase, which is where um, the kind of later half of your cycle where estrogen is lower, progesterone is a little bit higher, had better outcomes for strength gain and muscle gain than those who just trained three times a week as as you normally would. So even that in itself, now there was only four studies on it, but even that in itself is is very interesting. So I'd love to see more research in that area. And anecdotally, for me and my clients, there seems to be a better reserve of energy and better ability to hit higher intensities when they're in that earlier stage of their menstrual cycle when estrogen is higher rather than when they are just about to get to period, their period or the first few days of bleeding. I mean, that, that that research is mind blowing to me who has gone to the gym for 20 years and had various trainers and you talking on the How to Pivot podcast is the first time I ever heard it mentioned. So it absolutely blows my mind. And you're right. I hope there will be more research in that area. But I heard Ashling B talking around this idea. She was kind of talking about creativity and energy reserves mm. and she had read the book Period Power and knowing how to track your cycles. And she said in, in one particular week, she won't book a big meeting. She won't book to sit and, and write her new series. She'll know what week that can be. And my initial knee-jerk reaction uh, as a woman was, God, if the men find this out, this will appear to be our weakness. But I suppose you flip it, isn't it? I mean, it's not as if I know some people have to take to the bed at certain times of the month as you say, that can be an indicator of something else going on. But on the whole, we all still fully function. It's about knowing when to pull back and when to push forward. 
exactly. And it's interesting that you brought up that book because that was a book, Period Power, Period Power by Maisie Hill, which hugely influenced me. And there's another book that some of that idea of the kind of cyclical living or our menstrual cycle being like seasons of, of the year is from a book called Wild Power. And that's written by two authors from from the Red School. And they actually have a, a training in this to um, create coaches who help people move through these kind of different, I guess, energetic stages and work through through kind of their energy creativity, creatively. But that ability to see how you're feeling at different stages. And again, you only learn this through tracking and actually being aware of it. It's quite significant and it's going to be different for different people. Some people might feel really energetic when they're around ovulation. It might be a great time for them to kind of do those bigger projects to go, you know, uh, do the presentations, do the talks where other people might find that they get, you know, quite challenged when they're speaking. I know for myself, when I'm in my luteal phase, so just before I'm about to get my period, I find it very difficult to, to find my words. I, I mix it up and I've done a couple of talks in around that stage of my cycle and I was like, do you know what? I'm, I'm just not going to do this again because I just found it too challenging and I wasn't able to communicate the, to the best of my ability. Depending on where your interests lie and where you want to learn more about the your menstrual cycle, whether it's from a sports performance point of view, whether it's from a general health point of view or whether it's from this kind of energetic, creative or even spiritual point of view, there are so many different avenues that you can go down and it's it's an incredibly powerful tool, which is to your point that it's about flipping it. And for me, that was hugely transformational, being able to turn it from something negative that I thought I had to put up with for my life and my brother didn't have to and my friends didn't have to, who were guys, to something that actually I have this power within me to to see how my energies change and to tap into that and use that to my advantage whether it's for training or whether it's for work or whether it's for some sort of creative project that I have because it's happening anyway Mm. so you may as well harness it to the best of your ability and how do we do it do we get an app would you recommend some of the apps that are out there so you're tracking and then you're keeping your own notes to see how you were around work how you were in the gym how you were in your with your kids because I suppose my question as well is how do you make sure, I mean, there's so many of us struggle to get off the couch and go for that run or go for that walk or go to the gym. It's in our mind anyway, that resistance. And then you just get this week where you're like, oh, it's my winter. I'm just going to chill. Yeah. How do you know you're not just being lazy as opposed to really tuning in and listening to your body? Yeah, well, well, that's it. I think you kind of answer the question at the end there. It's about tuning in and listening to your body where in this modern world and again through kind of following the recommendations that we see that are, are really for guys and, and not always the case for women is that it's about doing and it's not taking rest and it's grinding and that's how we succeed where by learning to tap into yourself and trusting and you, you can do it as an experiment do it for three months start tracking your cycle seeing if there's patterns take that step back and see how you feel I know when I did it I felt way stronger in the gym so when I do go in I'm you know lifting as heavy as I as I always did my energy is better my mood is better I don't have as bad PMS symptoms um I have a better understanding of what's going on so if I feel maybe like I stretched myself at certain stages I can be like oh that's what happened I need to take that step back but what's also a really useful tool as you said that kind of motivation thing is through trial and error you'll learn about what actually is a motivational point and what is actually I'm just really fatigued and I'm I'm under training or I'm under fueling and, and over training and I would really bring everyone's attention to that last point where it is very common um especially if you are 
under the influence of diet culture. It's there in the media. You know, we need to look look a certain way and the body ideals change every decade. So it's so hard to keep up. Should I be ripped? Should I be skinny? You know, all this kind of stuff. But a lot of us fall foul of trying to train too much um, and, and not feeling ourselves correctly. And actually, when we do that, we're either just treading water. We're not actually progressing towards our goals, whatever they may be, or we could actually be regressing. So we could be impacting our health. We could be actually impacting our training. And there's lots of studies that support that, but even anecdotally. So that's really somewhere that I would draw people to. Start tracking your cycle, as you suggested. Just take notes in whatever form you want. And then look at how much you're training and how much you're eating and and are they balanced? Well, I urge people to go to your site, gowiththeflowcoaching.com. I love your take on things that we should be looking to nourish ourselves uh, rather than beat ourselves over the back with a stick and that's what real health and wellness is and as somebody who trained so hard in her 20s that my body fat dropped so low that I didn't even have a cycle and I never even matched the two it's 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 crazy what we put ourselves through so Sinead continue doing what you're doing and let's keep in touch and thank you very much for coming on thank you so much for having me coming up after the break Anthony Deegan on recovery Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Now, my next guest, Anthony Deegan, found himself needing the help of Smarmore Castle to recover from addiction. Now sober for three years, he's working as a recovery advocate at the very place he was once treated and he joins me in studio now. Hello, Good Anthony. Good morning. Thank you very much for coming in. I want to focus in this interview on recovery because yeah. quite often we focus on addiction and rightly so, there are many complex stories that need to be told in that area if for nothing else but to raise awareness and bring a bit more empathy yeah. about that. I, I don't know how you, you, you feel about that. Do you think addicts should be viewed less as criminals and more as, as people that need rehabilitation? I'd definitely be my view that they'd be less as criminalised because it's a, for me it's a health issue. You know, I don't believe anybody woke up one day and says, I want to be an addict, I want to rob people, I want to hold people. I certainly didn't. You know, but it, it ended up being that way um, as it got worse. And there are lots of, of reasons why people will end up in addiction, but it's fair to say you also had a few bad hands dealt to you in life that left you with a foundation that was a little bit rocky, yeah. to say the least. And I think that can often lead people onto the wrong path. Yeah. Um, like my experience of life, it can lead to addiction. Now, there's other people out there who have gone through what I've gone through and worse, and they didn't end up being addicted. You know, um, it's just my belief that there's something different inside me that it didn't matter if I grew up as a prince or anything, I was going to end up an addict somehow or other. You know, there's something inside me that makes me different to normal people. And once I found drink or drugs, that was it. I would have eventually ended up down that road. So tell us a bit about Smarmore Castle. Was this your first attempt at rehab when you arrived there? No, it was my 11th. My 11th treatment attempt. Now, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of personal attempts, um, community detoxes, clinics and that sort of stuff. But that was my 11th attempt at in-house treatment. So what does it feel like arriving for rehab, at, you know, the first day coming up to the door? To be quite honest, the first day I do not remember because being being an addict, I just thought I'll have one last hurrah and so there's not much memory of the first time. 
See, Smarmock Clinic is one of the only places that will detox you from most drugs. See, uh, some treatment centres you need to be clean before you go in. Others, it can either be methadone, um, heroin or alcohol only. So there's not many of them that will do it. I was addicted to benzos, to Lyrica, to heroin, the, the whole nine yards. And it's the only place that I found here in Ireland that will detox you off everything. And when you arrived there, what was your, your mindset? What do you think was different about this 11th attempt? Well, this time I was just done, you know, my relationship with um, my partner, Michelle, had all but fell apart. You know, um, we've been together on and off for 28 years since we're 13, childhood sweethearts. Um, and she was just done, you know, because all those times, in and out of treatment, in and out of treatment, giving them hope, building things back up and then just ripping her all back down. Um, Michelle was done. And only because my youngest daughter was having um, severe behavioural and emotional and abandonment abandonment issues because daddy was disappeared in every couple of months for a few months um, she told me I don't love you anymore this is done you just go in get yourself sorted we're going off to Wexford for two weeks when you come out get back into your meetings get back into the recovery and then start looking for somewhere to live we're done you know so I went in there this time for myself and I was just sick and tired of doing that all in out in out you know getting that bit of recovery and then just everything falling apart. And it gets worse every single time. And do you believe from your point of view, from an addict's point of view, in tough love, that family members and loved ones just reach a point where they're enabling you if they're still giving you love, that they have to take that away for yeah. you to get on with it? Yeah, just was something we've, I've learned through my dreams. And that's if, if an addict is happy with you, you're probably enabling them. If an addict is angry with you, you're probably saving their life. You know, because... You, can't, you need family members and loved ones need to protect themselves as well. There's absolutely nothing. You can be supportive and that sort of, but it's down to the addict. And that's there wholeheartedly ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It's There's not much you can do. You've no power or control over it. And what does it take? Because it's, it's not an easy road, is it? Because there's obviously the, the, the physical that you have to go through, but you also really have to dig deep into your soul and into your head to, to try and tinker with what's going wrong and put it back together. Yeah, it's like, for me it was 20% physical and um, 80% mental because I can get clean with the help of facilities or sometimes at home I'll get a couple of days but my mind will always bring me back to it. You know, it's, it's a thing with addicts and alcoholics that like even though all the carnage and turmoil and all the destruction I cause, my mind will trick me and say, She'd be grand. It'll be different this time. And what's a day in the life of, of rehab like? It's very structured. Any of the ones I've been in, and in Smarmore Castle, it's very structured. So you'll have a schedule. Um, you'd get up early in the morning, you'd have your breakfast, you'd have meditation um, at nine o'clock, um, and then you'd have group therapies throughout the day. Um, there's the likes of yoga incorporated. It's got a great health and fitness Parts, parts of it down there. You've got a swimming pool, sauna. Um, so at 11 o'clock you'll do yoga. Then it's another bit of uh, group therapy. Um, and then you can have educational uh, lectures around addiction, the causes, things like sleep hygiene. Um, and as well as that, um, then you're back into the gym or the swimming. And then you'll have fellowship meetings then in the evenings or you'll have a past patient talk. So we're, we're assisted with um, Craig Castle in... Scotland and so on a Thursday you'll have a past patient of Smarmore 
and Saturday we'd have a past patient of Castle Craig come on and give their experience. So is it a gradual change? When did you know, I, I think I'm going to crack at this time, I'm getting stronger, I'm feeling different? It was a long time. It was a, like, it was a good bit into it. Um, when I came out of Smarmore, because I was always full of that fear, because my experience was I, I never got more than six months, and I think I got that once or twice, but it was usually after a couple of months. So I was always on edge that, like, is it going to fall apart this time? It was about a year, um, and like even today, um, three and a bit years, I still don't think I have this licked, licked. You know, I'm able to I have a programme in my life. Things are a lot easier. But if I don't follow that programme, if I don't do what I need to be doing, I will go back. There's, there's no if ands, or what's about. If I stop doing what I need to do, my mind will trick me again at some stage and boom, I'm straight back at it. Well, you're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to Anthony Deegan about his experience in recovery uh, now sober for three years. And I suppose it's quite cushioned. Well, it's, it's hard. Cushioned makes it sound a bit more easy, but you're in a little bubble, I suppose, when you're in rehab and you've all the supports there and the help and you're very focused. So it must be scary when you go back to real life and you're, you're on your own. Without a shadow of a doubt, we speak about it all the time. Like it is, it's safe, it's secure. You're able to talk about what's going on for you. Um, and it's not that all the supports are gone, but that security of the treatment centre does be gone. And as soon as you leave, then there's sensory overload. Even just as soon as you're going out the gate, that fear starts to build up. You know, driving down the road, you haven't been driving in a car for a couple of weeks. Um, your family are all, how are you? Looking great. Um, all this sort of stuff. So it can be very, very overwhelming. But like that, you give the tools when we're leaving what to do. You know, I'll always suggest to people to, to ring their supports going out the gate because once you get home, the kids are all over you, the families are ringing you, everyone wants to see how you are, everyone's on edge because you're coming back out. Is Are you going to go back at it? You know, Are you going to get your meetings, all this sort of stuff? Um, and it can be very overwhelming. So it can, but you just keep tipping on with it. Like we give a good um, aftercare plan going out so you'll have like maybe a little basic schedule of what you're going to do each each day your fellowship meetings your aftercares your supports and, and that sort of stuff going out I want you to start using them you'd be pretty alright When did you decide you were going to go back and, and help the people that are there to become an advocate and, and work there rather than, than move on? I made a decision um, throughout my recovery that I would love to be able to help other addicts and alcoholics. You know, that's all I knew from the age of 11 was addiction. Um, and I'd, me, uh, a good friend of mine who supported me through all this always said to me, you're going to help a lot of people. The story that you have, people who identify and, you know, there's nothing more helpful than someone that's gone through it that can help another person. And I always wanted to do that. Like, uh, the recovery advocates hadn't been established in Smarmore while I was there. There was a new thing that's been transferred over from Castle Craig, they have them, and it was the head therapist there in Smarmore who gave me a call and asked me would I be interested in it. And can we tell you, I was I was overwhelmed that I must have cried for about two hours. You know, for one, I got high regard for the, the, the head therapist there. He's absolutely excellent, but the fact that he said, you're one of the first people that I thought of ask when I was there wow because I still I didn't believe whether I was able to do anything like that you know I was still rebuilding my life trying colleges I was in failing at colleges due to dyslexia and 
just being very tough um, in an academic sense. But for for himself to say that was was a huge confidence boost. And so you go back in, do you give talks one-on-one? How does it work? So we're there as a supportive role. Um, so we're there to promote and recommend recovery. Um, and we're in there helping out um, with setting up meetings. We're just sitting there building relationships with the patients, talking with them, giving our experience, being there as a listening ear. And it's a bit of a role model of, of what recovery is, you know. Um, and it's it's a very in-depth um, role that's in there because it's it's a huge team. We've got the nursing, we've got the therapeutic, we've got the HCAs and that sort of stuff. And um, everyone works together, but the recovery advocates are in the middle. So we're in with the patients all the time. Obviously, as you've said, the experts, you couldn't do it without them. The psychologists, the medical staff, all that side of things. But to have somebody that's walked the walk that, you know, you can identify with, I think can be can be really powerful. What do you want people to know about addiction and recovery? So addiction, it's it's a nasty looking disease. Like people see mainly the people on the streets, the homeless, the, the heroin addicts, the crack addicts and that sort of stuff. You know, addiction isn't all that. That's the real ugly side of it. Um, and it's it's my belief and it's my lived experience that no one wanted to end up like that. You know, um, though it's so ugly with the crime, the violence, um, you know, it's, it's very scary to be around. But they're still human beings underneath. You know, they're just hurt human beings. Um, and that they've, they've just found a way of living that works for them. And at a certain point, it's beyond their control or choice whether they can stop. You know, you can go to treatment and it's, we've seen this argument a lot that once you get clean, then it's a choice. It's partially a choice. But for me, my experience, if we didn't treat myself with a 12-step fellowship, I'm always going to go back. Three years sober, as we said, the introduction and Michelle that you mentioned earlier and the family you have together was your light at the end of, of the tunnel. You were hoping to fix the relationship in some way and you're due to get married soon. Yes, we're due to get we were due to get married on the thirty first of July this year, but with with COVID and we decided to to put it off for till next year. So the twenty fourth of May, please God, we will be getting uh, married. Brilliant. Well, congratulations. You know, it's a it's a rough road you went on and to come out the other side is only to be congratulated and the fact that you're back helping others and telling your story, thank you very much for doing so. No problem at all. If you'd like more information on addiction, including spotting the signs and how to help someone with addiction, you can go to smarmorecastle.ie forward slash help. Anthony Deegan, thank you very much and all the very best to you. Thank you very much. Anthony would also like you to have these following numbers. Cocaine Anonymous is 087 317 4989. The number for Cocaine Anonymous is 087 317 4989. Or you can email help at caireland.info. Coming up after the break, how I got on when I spent 24 hours in a wheelchair for Spinal Injuries Ireland. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, when Spinal Injuries Ireland asked me to take part in a day in my wheels, I was happy to oblige. COVID had delayed the plans for a while, but... This Thursday, I got to give the wheelchair a go. I arrived to CHQ in Dublin for a breakfast and to meet the other participants. And here's how I got on. When you're going to sort of move your body weight a bit forward, 
So when you're when you're gonna go up the ramp, move your center of gravity forward so your head is like the heaviest part of your body. So just lean a little bit forward. And then when you're coming down the other side is, is to grip the wheels extremely tight so that you sort of slow the momentum of the chair going downhill. This could be quite a mortifying experience, but it's all an experience. Listen, look, you know, you have to learn somehow, as they say. Okay, here we go. So I'll, I'll be behind just... I'm here at CHQ in the IFSC here in Dublin. And for Spinal Injuries Ireland, I'm taking part in 24 hours in my wheel. So this is my home for day and night. Once we're in it, we're told to go about our daily lives as best we can, just to try and raise awareness on what a challenge it can be, and it shouldn't be that way. So, uh, Jack Shannon Cole, I'm currently a student with the Institute of Banking. So, Jack, you've just given us our training. Yeah. Um, what do we need to bear in mind as we go out there? Obviously, health and safety is key, and you've told us when in doubt, jump out of the chair, don't put yourself in danger, but that's not an option for you. Yeah, so I suppose it's just an experience. Um, it comes it comes with an experience. It takes time to learn how to, to motor around in that sense, but overall, because the, the privilege is there to jump in and out, it is only a crash course because you're only exposed to it for a day or two. So it's taken me years to gather up the confidence and the skill to, to motor around and uh, to go around independently, and that's just, that's part and parcel of the package of being a wheelchair user. It takes time to learn these skills. But um, for yourselves today in the crash course, I find that it's just best to be safe, as you said. And if you are exposed to a situation that you don't feel comfortable, to, to take the privilege and to stand up and to, to move around that situation. Yeah. So you, as a wheelchair user, how often do you need to ask for help in your daily life or on a night out? Yeah, so... Um, I find that overall it's um, accessibility of infrastructure that is my main concern as a wheelchair user. So it's, uh, you know, there's no lift or there's steps or there's no accessible bathroom. So they would be my primary concerns as a wheelchair user from, a, from an overall perspective. But it depends in, in where I'm going. If, if the establishment, the venue that I'm going to isn't accessible, if I have some good friends with me, it'll just be, they'll just lift me up and down the stairs. But, you know, not everybody has the privilege of having people with them at that certain time. So on a, on a daily basis, I don't need any exceptional help. But you will find yourself, because of the lack of infrastructure and the lack of accessibility, the lack of upgrades to the infrastructure, it is, it is daunting as a wheelchair user in, in this 21st century we live in. Because something I didn't realise is not only are you robbed of your mobility or certain mobilities being in yeah. a wheelchair but you're robbed a little bit of spontaneity you have to really plan yeah. every yeah. single journey yeah um i'm uh, i had my injury in 2012 i was 15 years of age so i, I was young but like that as time went on and i, I uh, went through the rehabilitation uh, process and i came back into normal society if you will in that sense uh, it takes an awful lot of planning and preparation and that's something that just comes part and parcel of being a wheelchair user now hopefully in the future not too far away that isn't the case where you have to ring up and make sure that the venue is accessible they have a wheelchair bathroom or whatever the case may be but in, in today's world it is the case that you do have to do an awful lot of planning like uh, i had to ring up to get the dart this morning i had to give 24 hours notice just to get here you know but you just you could have just jumped on it's the difference and I think because it's Spinal Injuries Ireland, it's a reminder that life can change in the blink of an eye and something yeah. happened in your life at 15. Yeah, so I had a fall when I was 15 um, and exactly as you said, that is the case that anybody can have a spinal injury at any point in, in their lives and uh, 
it's 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 not it's not too uncommon in the, to that extent. I think the year that I had my injury, there was uh, 16 children uh, that year in Ireland who had a spinal injury. In the rehabilitation hospital, uh, the rehabilitative centre, there's only six beds, six paediatric beds. So 16 children in one year, six beds. It's uh, there is a, a shot. Uh, there's a supply and demand issue there for sure. Fiona Bulger, CEO of Spinal Injuries Ireland. So Fiona, you're the CEO of Spinal Injuries Ireland, but not only do you talk the talk, you're walking the walk, or as uh, your lovely speaker today on the stage says, we're sitting on our arses and doing something rather than getting off our arses and doing something. You're taking on the challenge too. Yes, well, my team, I have to say, first of all, it wasn't my idea in the first place. It, it was uh, my colleague Sharon who came up with this fantastic idea, which is really, really innovative. And... Um, we, so the team said to me, well, look, Fiona, we can't be asking business people and broadcasters and celebrities to take on the challenge unless you're willing to do it yourself. So that's why I'm here today. And what do you hope to get out of today? What do you hope will, will happen on the back of us all doing this? Well, as a very small charity, it's, it's very difficult, you know, to... to let our voice be heard you know in in a very busy environment which is the charity environment and um, so we like to try and do something that's a little bit innovative which will create awareness of what it's like to live with a spinal cord injury and you know a spinal cord injury is described by the world health organization as one of the most devastating and life-changing injuries that a person can sustain but with the correct supports and services people can continue on with the life that they'd hoped to live prior to, to injury. So we provide a pathway of care for people who've sustained an injury and their family members from onset of injury for as long as they want us, you know. And we provide case management, we peer support, we have an activities programme with people and we provide counselling to family members as well, which obviously we've had to increase during COVID because can you imagine your loved one sustaining an injury and not being able to go into the hospital to visit them? So there's been an awful lot of distress and trauma with families. Minister Josefa Madigan, Minister for Special Education and Inclusion. So Josefa, you're along with me. You are going to spend 24 hours in a wheelchair. How are you feeling? Being very honest with you, Claire, I, I, I'm not really looking forward to it, if, if I'm totally frank with you. Um, I'm just wondering how I'm going to navigate in and out of the car, in and out uh, of the department and Leinster House. Are there sufficient ramps? Are there sufficient you know, lifts? There's a lot of steps uh, around. It's raining a little bit. Um, you, know, you have to put your hands on the wheels, as wheelchair, wheelchair users have to do on a daily basis to, to move around. Um, and so, you know, I'm a bit, yeah, there's a little bit of trepidation, but hopefully, hopefully people will support me. And look, it's all about creating awareness at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm lucky I'm going to be able to, you know, leave my chair tomorrow morning um, where many, many can't. And one of the criticisms that's often bandied at our politicians is that they are disassociated with what's really going on, that you're up in your high ivory towers making all these decisions. And you're really seeing what exactly it's like to try and navigate through Dublin with diverse abilities. 
Yeah, well, I think this challenge, you know, at the end of the day, it's about a charity, Smiling Injuries Ireland, and about, you know, giving money to them and creating awareness. But it also fits in really well with my brief, uh, which is special education and inclusion. We have about 15,000 children in Irish schools uh, who are physically disabled in one way or the other. Some of them are wheelchair users. I often meet them and they tell me the, the challenges and the difficulties they have on a daily basis, you know, navigating their schools and and you know the, going out with our friends and all of that so i suppose it's in solidarity with them as well and um, so that i can really understand you know on, on a very practical level what they go through my lovely friend lorraine Keane is joining me in the chair you're about to take on the ramp how are you feeling about today i'm really nervous about today like yourself claire um and it was very emotional getting into the chair for the first time. I don't know how you felt. Um, it's just it's just really sad that this is some people's every day and we only have to do it for 24 hours and I'm scared. Yeah, I'm very nervous. You've brought your husband with you today. I never thought about bringing an assistant because it is really hard to know how we're going to navigate the streets, yes. transport. Yes. What are your plans for the day? Well, Peter's only with me for this morning because he's working full time. So it was actually Carol Ann Clark said to me that her husband was coming in and we're both going to get the dart back to our local areas and um, hopefully the facilities work and the access is there. And then from there, I'll wheel up a very steep hill um, to my house. My house is an old house with you know granite steps to the front door so it's clearly not um, not accessible and I'm going to try and, and do a few things around the kitchen that I would normally do um, and then I have to be in town I have an appointment in town that I kept so I'm going to get a taxi into town see how that works and, um, and do a few bits and pieces around town that I have to do. So I'm, I'm keeping my day as it was planned. So they say the best way to learn about something is to experience it. So that's what I'm going to do. I, I worry, is there a bit of a token gesture in this? The fact that I can stand up and walk around tomorrow, but I'm really open to learning about the challenges that you face in a wheelchair and hopefully bring about awareness that eventually will spark a little bit of change. I've just spent 10 minutes going across the road here to the bridge to have a photograph taken and even the slightest incline, I'm not even talking a hill, is a major workout for the arms because you're moving your whole body weight as well as the chair which is actually quite light. The cobbles here have been very difficult to navigate and even when you cross at a pedestrian crossing where there is a dip in the pavement, even the slightest lip is actually a real challenge for you to get up and get going. And I never even noticed before on foot, when you do get the green man, you only get 10 seconds to make it across. So that's my first 10 minutes. And of course, I have the luxury of getting out of the chair tomorrow. This is people's everyday lives. So this is only my first 10 minutes. I'm gonna head off up to News Talk. I've got some work to do there. I'm gonna do that in a wheelchair accessible taxi that I booked in advance. And I'm gonna try and do what I do in town and see what I get on. It's all about raising awareness. And as one of the trainers just said to me, Barry Cook, it's not people with spinal injuries who are disabled or people in chairs. It's the areas around them that cause them to be disabled. And it shouldn't necessarily be this way. So I have reached the end of my day and the end of the challenge, but what an eye opener it was. I love today. It was really tough in parts. The people I met, really impressed by our trainers, it was Barry Cook, Paul, 
the things they had to say about the lived experience, as well as Kieran, who spoke on the stage, about what everyday life is like for them. But there was no pity-inducing story. But they just said that there's things going on around them that make it more difficult for them. Something Barry said was, we're not disabled. It's the environment around us that is, that stops us getting around. That was something that I can attest to. I had to ask for help several times. It was a real eye-opener to see how many lovely people there are out and about that notice you struggling. A homeless man turned around and said, could he help me up an incline? The coffee shop that I went to, somebody was willing to come right to the door because I couldn't get into the shop. But you don't want to feel like a burden. Nobody has to help me when I'm walking around town. I just pop in for a coffee, pop in for whatever it is I'm doing. People aren't staring at me, looking at me, having to push me. We should do better, especially when you hear there's a Preservation Act, which is really important to maintain the beautiful old historic buildings that we have around Dublin and indeed the country. But we should 100% be able to have ramps everywhere for people to get in in a wheelchair. That's just basic I mean, there are things that we are talking about in today's society, such as inclusion, diversity, that we shouldn't need to be talking about, but that we're beginning to speed up on. Disability has been something that's been around forever. But why are we so far behind this in a technological age? It's shocking. So my arms are tired, but my heart is full. And I won't forget today. I won't forget the people that I met It gave me real hope. I thought it was a really positive experience this morning and I hope that we've raised a little bit of awareness. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks as ever to my producer, John Fardy, to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound, and to Rory Walsh for being a videographer and following me around in my wheelchair on Thursday for Spinal Injuries Ireland. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week.